I wonder whether you ever experience that thing we sometimes hear referred to as FOMO, fear of missing out. Anybody ever experienced that whole FOMO thing? Uh, on our chat before the service this morning, on our 10 before on our live stream, uh, we were talking with uh, Josh and Josh, who were hosting with me on the live stream this morning, about what we're fearful about missing out on, that sometimes we see other people have that we think we'd like to have ourselves. And uh, we were talking a lot about video games this morning with Josh and Josh. I learned about video games today and the fear of missing out on a great new video game when it comes out, if everybody else has got it and you haven't. But I guess we may have experienced that in other ways as well. If you're a young person, maybe you sometimes see a toy or a game that somebody else has and you think, oh, I, I wish I had that. And you wonder what you're missing out on if you don't have it. Well, that same thing doesn't just apply to children and young people. It applies to adults as well. The fear of missing out. What are we fearful of missing out on? Maybe uh, we're fearful of missing out on some kind of relationship or something in our career. Maybe we're, fear we're fearful of missing out on that TV series that everybody else is talking about on the streaming service that's the one streaming service we don't have. Or maybe we're fearful about missing out on some amazing experience or other because we see people's social media feeds and we see their great photos on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook and we think, wow, why don't I get to go to that amazing place? And then what happens when we experience a fear of missing out is it drives us to try and get that thing. You know, and as a culture and a society, so often these days we're living constantly with that fear of missing out. And I wonder how that fear of missing out is driving us. How, how many times have you heard this phrase? People will say, I'm living my best life. Have you heard people say that? I'm living my best life. Which usually is shorthand for, I'm having all the experiences I want to have, just in case I miss out on something. I wonder how that's working out for us. How's that working out for us as a society and a culture? You know, we are more stressed and more anxious than maybe we've ever been as a culture. We're more depressed than we've ever been. We're busier than we've ever been trying to live our best lives because we're so fearful of missing out on something. And I think that's because so often as a society and a culture, we are placing our hope in things that are temporary. We set our sights on things that are going to pass on. We're going to set our sights on things that only last for a short period of time. What have you got your sights set on? What are you fearful of missing out on? What are you placing your hope in? What are you living towards? How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? You know, in this series over three consecutive Sundays that we started last week and we're finishing next week about heaven, we're asking this question, what are we looking forward to? What are we placing our hope in and how is that working out for us? And we're suggesting through this series that there is a bigger thing to place our hope in, that there is a bigger thing to think about. There's a bigger hope that is before us than so many of the things we place our hope in today. Last week, I started the series talking about why heaven matters. Why does it matter? Why does what we think about heaven matter? 
And we said that heaven matters because what we look forward to in this life determines what we live towards in this life. Our perspective on heaven impacts how we live on earth. And you can go back and listen to that on our podcast, or you can listen to that or watch that on YouTube if you want to catch up with what we said last week. This week, we're talking about what is heaven going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? We sung that song, I Can Only Imagine. Well, we're going to try and stretch our imaginations today about what heaven might actually be like. You know, last week, we looked at what Jesus had to say about heaven. We looked at what Jesus had total trust and confidence in when it came to heaven. This week, we're looking at the friends of Jesus, some of the friends of Jesus, and what they had to say about heaven. Uh, Those people who knew Jesus well, or who had encountered or experienced Jesus, or who had met the people who knew Jesus well. So we're talking about two of those friends in particular today. We're talking about a guy called John, who was a, a friend of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and wrote down the stories of Jesus. And then we're also going to listen today to a guy called Paul, who came a little bit along a little bit later, knew many, many of the friends of Jesus, and started following Jesus himself, was a really influential guy. Now, for those friends of Jesus, including John and Paul, this thinking about heaven and trying to understand what heaven was going to be like was not an academic exercise for them. This was real for them. Because they faced the prospect of death for what they believed in. They faced persecution and ultimately death. So this was not an academic exercise for them. And I guess that may be true for many of us today, either here on site or watching online. This may well not be an academic exercise for you today. Maybe you've lost people that you love. Maybe you're struggling with health yourself. All of us face those kind of issues in our lives. So this, is an academic, this isn't an academic or theological exercise for many of us either. Maybe you're not a person of faith, but I guess this is probably still a big question for you. Lots of us think about what is beyond this life, even if we wouldn't say we were a person of faith. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're struggling with this idea of heaven. You haven't heard it talked about very much. You, you know that something called heaven exists in the Christian faith, but you don't really know what it's going to be like. So we are all in a similar boat today, whether we would say we're a people of faith or not. We all have, I think, much to learn and reflect on when it comes to this subject. Last week, we talked about heaven as a present reality, a future promise... And something that can break in here and now when we experience the will of God here on earth, heaven breaks in. Today, we're going to dig into this second one a little bit more, this future hope, this future promise, and what that really means and what difference that can make to our lives. And we're going to start by grounding that in a really, really important place, a really important context for that future hope. I'm going to go first of all to Paul and what Paul had to say about this. And Paul started churches, was in contact with churches, and Paul wrote letters to some of those churches, including one in a place called Thessalonica in what we know today as Greece. And the people in Thessalonica, they were facing isolation 
and ostracization, they were facing persecution, and they were facing the very real prospect of death. And the people in Thessalonica had grown up surrounded by a pagan culture, a culture that said there was no hope for anybody beyond this life. So they had no hope, and yet they were faced with this very real prospect of what was to come in the life after this one. And so they are asking Paul all sorts of questions about that. And Paul writes to them, amongst other things, to answer those questions. And here's what Paul says to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Notice, he doesn't say you shouldn't grieve. He says, we'll experience grief and loss in this life. But let's not grieve, Paul says, like people who have no hope. Hope is a core theme for Paul all the way through the things that he wrote and the things that he said. Uh, Paul says that hope is a key thing for a follower of Jesus. They need to have hope, that hope should impact every part of the life of a follower of Jesus, including what happens in grief. But Paul is also about to go on to say that hope is not something that is without basis. That hope is not blind hope. That hope is not without faith. No, no. Hope is something a bit different to that, the sort of hope that Paul is talking about because it's grounded somewhere. So we're going to go to the next verse. For since, Paul says, so you don't need to grieve as people who are without hope because for since we believe that Jesus was di died and was raised to life again, Paul is going to ground his hope in an event that happened that many of the people he knew had witnessed with their own eyes the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And this is the first of three things I want us to know about this future promise of heaven. I want us to know these things today. That it starts, that future hope, in a bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is the foundation of faith. People had seen the physical resurrection of Jesus. They were bearing witness to it. They were talking about it. And they were convinced that Jesus was who he said he was because they had seen the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. And for Paul, there is this really close connection between the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the belief in the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection of his followers that gives a hope for what is to come in heaven. Paul says this resurrection of Jesus is the basis of the hope of the Christian faith. So Paul goes on to say then in the second part of that verse, for since we believe that Jesus was died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Paul is saying here, Jesus is not the only person who gets resurrected. Jesus is not the only one who's going to be resurrected. And Paul is echoing what Jesus himself talked about and believed, that there is a bodily resurrection coming of those who have died with faith in God. And that's the promise, the future promise of heaven. And Jesus' friends and followers picked up on that theme. Now, imagine you're in Thessalonica. You've grown up in this pagan culture. You've started uh, following Jesus. You've become Christians. And they were surrounded by this thought that death, 
meant a permanent end. There was no hope beyond death. And Paul is saying, no, 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 for the Jesus follower, death is a transition to an even better mode of existence than life. So number one, Paul tells us that the hope of heaven is grounded in a bodily resurrection of Jesus. Number two, in a bodily resurrection of all those who are followers of Jesus. In another letter that he wrote to people in another Greek city, this time called Corinth, Paul says this, Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand more about what this bodily resurrection thing means. Because the people in Corinth were really struggling to understand or believe this stuff. Maybe you resonate with that, by the way. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you are struggling to understand or even believe this stuff. It feels too far-fetched to you. That's exactly what was going on in Corinth. And Paul says, just like a seed planted in the ground, so a bodily resurrection will take place in this life. Just like a seed planted in the ground decomposes and then bursts into new life, so it will be for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And Paul uses three phrases here to help us understand what that's going to be like. That we will be raised to life forever. What has been broken will be raised in glory. What has been weak will be raised in strength. So if you ever felt broken or weak, then there is hope, hope that our earthly bodies are not the end. They will be raised forever. Maybe this still feels far-fetched to you, almost unbelievable to you. Well, the Corinthians were struggling with that thought, but Paul reminds them a bit earlier than what I've just read, a bit earlier in the text than what I've just read, Paul reminds them that a bodily resurrection of Jesus has taken place. So if you're struggling to believe that this is possible or this feels far-fetched, then remember that this has already happened once in the resurrection of Jesus. And if God can do it once, well, he can do it again. Not so difficult to believe then. That's what makes it possible for Paul to believe. That's what makes it possible, Paul is saying, for the Corinthians and the Thessalonians to believe. It should make it possible for us to believe Because of a physical resurrection of Jesus, there can be a physical resurrection of Jesus' followers too. So the second thing that heaven will be like, this future promise of heaven, that it will involve a bodily resurrection of Jesus' followers. But where will all this happen? Where will everybody reside? Where will Jesus be? Well, now we've got to go to this other friend of Jesus's, John, to find out where this is all going to take place. And we go to Revelation chapter 21. So Revelation is a book that John wrote right at the end of his life. It's a book full of dreams and visions. And John is getting these kind of very pictorial visions of what heaven might be like one day. We need to read it and understand it in that context. That these are vivid, vivid pictures. uh, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Notice a new heaven and a new earth. Earth is still around, but it's just now recreated, redeemed, restored, a new heaven and a new earth. There is still an earth, 
We are not only going to experience earth again in this future promise of heaven, but a much better version, a perfect version, and a version of heaven and earth joining together. What we experience now is merely a shadow or a peek into what this new heaven and this new earth is going to be like one day, beyond what we could even imagine it could be. And this word sea is really important here. The sea was also gone. Sea was a word that was used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in the culture of the day to mean something chaotic, something to be scared of, something evil. It was where monsters came. People in those days had no idea like we do of what the sea was like because they couldn't fly over it or sail very far across it. So sea in the culture of the day meant like dark and evil and horrible and chaotic things. So when John says, and the sea was gone, doesn't mean there wasn't any water. It means all that evil, pain, suffering, chaos, all those things to be scared of, all gone when the new heaven and the new earth comes. And we read on just one more. And I heard, this is verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Heaven and earth are joined together in this future promise, and right in the middle of it, God is dwelling And this word dwelling is one that John has used before in his account of the life of Jesus. It says, Jesus came, God came to earth and dwelt among us. It literally means to camp out with us. So in this new heaven and this new earth, God is hanging out with us. God is camping out with us. God is dwelling with us. He's coming to live forever in our midst as a healing, comforting, celebrating presence in the new heaven and the new earth, where chaos is gone, where there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, no more grief, only joy. The closing scenes, because Revelation is the last book of the Bible, the closing scenes in the story of God are not a vision of human beings going up to heaven as much of our popular culture imagines this picture of heaven to be. Rather, the closing scenes of God's story are heaven and earth coming together with God right at the center of it and with human beings resurrected to eternal life with him. What will heaven be like? It'll be a bodily resurrection of Jesus and he will be there. And because of that, we can be assured that what God has done once, he can do again in a bodily resurrection of all Jesus' followers. And we will hang out together in this new heaven and new earth, this restored earth, which is beyond what we could ever imagine. And there will be no chaos, no pain, no suffering, just an eternity spent in the presence of God in a place that goes beyond what we could even imagine. And in the meantime, Paul says elsewhere in another one of his letters, we should wait patiently and confidently, patiently and confidently for the day when this happens, the day where we get to be together in the presence of Jesus. What we think about heaven impacts our life on earth. It impacts how we live. It impacts where we place our hope. It impacts where we place our confidence. It impacts in how we grieve. It impacts 
how we cope with the struggles that we face in our lives. If we realize that we are going to live forever in this kind of setting, what does that mean now for our hope and our confidence and our faith? And if you think this is far-fetched, I'm with you. I get this seems far-fetched. I understand that. But I tell you what, I'm with Paul. That if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then God can raise you and I from the dead too one day. That's why Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God being like treasure buried in a field that is worth selling everything to have. It's worth giving up everything to be a part of because it is so amazing and so wonderful and so brilliant. And it is grounded in the reality of what God did once, he can do again. And of course, in this world, there is grief, there is struggle, there is suffering. And that may be your experience right now, today. But there will be a day when the sea is no more, when the chaos and the disorder and the struggles and the suffering and the grief is no more, where it is defeated, where all of that turns to joy, where there is a new heaven and a new earth, and where what God did once in Jesus, he will do again. Jesus is not the only one who's going to be resurrected from the dead. We will be given new bodies to spend all of eternity in that most perfect place where heaven and earth are joined together and redeemed and restored. And when we have our eyes on that, it changes how we live today. And the hope that Paul talked about can be ours when we live in the light of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sung earlier, we can only imagine what heaven will be like. We can only really imagine what that day will be like. But thank you that we catch glimpses through the stories that Jesus told and through the things that his first friends and followers wrote about what heaven will be like one day. Lord God, help us to allow that to stir our hearts. Help us to allow that to give us hope that goes beyond the struggles and suffering of this life. Hope when we're in the midst of them. Hope when we know of others who are struggling with it. And Lord God, I pray that help us to live in the light of your promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.